This is the Harvest Community Church Podcast with Pastor Michael Jones. And now, let's join today's message already in progress. Now, I want you to stand up real quickly and open up your Bibles to the book of Ezra. Turn to Ezra chapter 1, and we're going to look at the first three verses, and Ezra chapter 3, the first two verses. So be prepared as we read Ezra 1 to jump over to Ezra 3, and hopefully it's up on the screen. Did you all not, were you all not able to do my my slides? I worked hard on those. Um, But uh, Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. The New King James Version reads, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom, and also put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is among you of all his people? May his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God which is in Jerusalem. Let the church say, Amen. Amen. Look at Ezra chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And when the seventh month had come, and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered together as one man to Jerusalem. Then Jeshua, the son of Jehoshadak, and his brethren, the priests, And Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatiel, and his brethren, arose and built the altar of God, the God of Israel. Say, built the altar. To offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Father, bless the word of God in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. For the next few moments, I want to talk on the subject, Rebuild. Rebuild. And it's starting a sermon series on the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra and Nehemiah, uh, way back when they were first written, were all one volume. Then, as the Old Testament was compiled, they separated those two books into two volumes. But initially, they were all one volume. Ezra details the return of the remnant of the children of Israel from Babylonian captivity. As a matter of fact, the Persians took hold of Babylon. And so King Cyrus here, who is a pagan king, decides to allow all of the Jews in Persia to go back to Jerusalem. 
Nehemiah gives you an idea of, of, of Nehemiah being sent back home in order to build the walls around the city of Jerusalem. Ezra gives you a detailed account of God allowing the people to come back to Jerusalem to build the temple. So Ezra is about the people of God rebuilding the temple that was destroyed by the Babylonians. Nehemiah gives you an idea of them rebuilding the walls of protection around the city of Jerusalem. Now the children of Israel were in captivity 70 years. And finally, they have the hope of being restored. 70 years being away from family. 70 years being away from home. 70 years being away from the familiar. 70 years of being away from normal. 70 years of being away from worship in the temple. Some of them wandered away from their faith. Some of them wandered away from God. Some of them wandered away from their calling as the children of God. And many women, as I was preparing this message, the Lord impressed upon me that the pandemic in which we have suffered through over a year is much like being in captivity. Many of us were shut in our homes. Many of us had and lived through a stay-at-home order. Many of us were away from loved ones. Many of us were away from the familiar and away from the normal and away from worship. But quiet as it's kept, we are much like the Hebrews who have returned home to Jerusalem. And before we romanticize the return, you need to know that I have a sneaking suspicion that these Hebrews suffered from the same things that we are suffering from now. If you hear the news reports, the news reports say that we have a psychological trauma because of the pandemic. That we have emotional trauma because of the pandemic. And dare I say, a spiritual trauma. Many of the churches in America have seen a reduction in attendance because people are so used to staying home. There is this, this spiritual trauma in America because many have wandered away from the faith, even preachers. Or many have gotten involved in old habits and, and, and old hang-ups and, 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 and old things that they were involved in even before coming to know Jesus Christ. And quiet as it's kept, many here under the sound of my voice are here at worship service. But you still feel uncomfortable. It's still not the same. You still don't feel like you're at home. And so my question to you is this. 
When God called that remnant back home from being in exile, when God called that remnant back home from being in captivity, when God called that remnant home through a pagan king to go home and rebuild the temple, to go home and rebuild the walls, to go home and start anew and start afresh, what is the first thing he called them to do? What is the first thing he called them to be about? And men and women, I thought of that thing and got happy. Because it's the first thing I realized from my grandmother. It's the first thing I acknowledged when I, I, I grew up occasionally going to church. It was the first thing that I picked up from the old folks. It was the first thing that stirred my soul. It was the first thing. And men and women, if we miss this, we will never be comfortable with coming back to church. We'll never be comfortable with coming back to our relationship with God. Rebuild in 2021. Rebuild is what God has called us to do. And the place that God wants us to rebuild first is the altar. I remember growing up to that church next door to my house. Sweet Jewel has visited that, that, that church, Progressive Baptist Church in Berkeley, California on Alcatraz Avenue. And I remember walking up and going to the altar. And I remember having a discussion with Jewel years ago and we were talking about how important it is, our relationships with God. And I'll never forget what she said. She said, God, she said, Pastor Mike, my relationship with God is so important because when life gets too big, I know where I can go. Many women, I want you to see in Ezra chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, it says, In the seventh month they had come, the children of Israel were in the cities, and the people gathered together uh, as one man to Jerusalem, and Jeshua, the Jeshua, the Jehoshadak, and his brother and the priest, and Zerubbabel. If you were to read Ezra, you would find that there were two characters uh, that were primary in the book. Zerubbabel is the primary character uh, in chapters 1 through 6 because he prepares the hearts of the people to rebuild the temple and then we don't uh, are not introduced to Ezra until chapter 7 as the temple is rebuilt and so our hearts must be prepared before the temple can be built and it all starts at the altar the scripture says Zerubbabel the son of Sheatiel and his brethren arose and built the altar of God of, of Israel they built the altar of God to offer burnt offerings on it as it's written in the law of Moses let me ask you a question they built the altar, but why? If it's so important, and Pastor Mike has said the altar is so important, why? Why is the altar so important? I'm glad you asked. Because there are four reasons why, and I'll hurry through this because I've only got about 15 minutes. Number one, the altar is important because the altar is a place of provision. 
The altar is a place of provision. You remember in Genesis chapter 22, God told Abraham to worship, to take his son Isaac up on top of the mountain. And when he took him on top of the mountain, God said, I want you to strike the boy. Because the, 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 the sacrifice that was to be, to be used was not an animal at this point. It was Isaac, his only son, Isaac, the son of promise. And so he puts Isaac on the altar. The scripture says they came to the place which God had told him and Abram, Abram built an altar there and placed the wood in order and he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood and Abram stretched his hand out and took the knife to slay his son and Abraham lifted his eyes and looked and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns so Abraham went and took the ram offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. Verse 14. And Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Amen. Yes. One of the things during this pandemic that has caused people to be shook during this economic unrest and this economic uncertainty is thinking that the Lord won't provide. People have lost jobs. People, people have lost income. And let me say this parenthetically. That stimulus check ain't going to carry you. That stimulus check ain't going to be the turning of the tide. So people got nervous and people got excited and people got, got uneasy and people, people, people were worrying about if God will provide. Well, let me tell you this. God provided for you beforehand. God will provide for you after. God will provide for you right now. Because that's who He is. He is Jehovah Jireh, our provider. And men and women, as, I, as, as Abraham took Isaac up, he was getting ready to kill Isaac. That was all he had. All he had was his son. He loved his son. His son was the son of promise. And God gave Abraham an unexpected blessing. By having a ram in the thicket. And for you and for me, you need to know that God will provide for you even if you don't know where it's coming from. Because he always has a ram in the thicket. Amen? Or oh me. Listen to the word of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 8 says, And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Do you believe that? Yeah. He's going to allow you to thrive. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. And you know Philippians 4.19 and my God shall meet all of your needs according to his riches and glory. And let me tell you a secret. Some of us have done better in the pandemic than we did before it even came. Amen or oh me. You know how I know God is a provider? Raise your hand if you didn't have anything to eat yesterday. All of y'all ain't. Raise your hand if you didn't have a roof over your head yesterday. Raise your hand if you're in here. If you in here, you, you, you just, I was going to say a word before it, but I'm just going to use the word naked. 
N E K K I D. Naked. No, ain't none of y'all in here naked because you got clothes to put on. You got food on the table. You got a roof. How many of us walk to church today? Because he's Jehovah Jireh. He is our provider. And, and notice what happens here at the altar. At the altar, Abraham discovered he was Jehovah Jireh. Point number two. Not only is the altar a place of power, but it says he rose up and built the altar of God of Israel. Israel, it says in chapter 3, verse 2. But in Exodus 17, there is a story of Joshua and the children of Israel who are going up against the Amalekites in war. Moses is standing up on top of a hill. He has his arms raised and he is praying. The scripture says that as long as he prayed, Joshua and the children of Israel were prevailing against the Amalekites and were having victory. But as soon as Moses got tired and his arms fell down, then the Amalekites would prevail. So what Moses decided to do was to, to sit on a rock and he had his brother Hur on one side and Aaron on the other side and he raised his hands and he prevailed, uh, Joshua prevailed in the battle. And we pick it up at verse 14. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book and recount the, the, in the hearing of Joshua that I will ultimately blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Verse 15. And Moses built an altar and called it its name Jehovah Nisi. The Lord is my banner. For he said, because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. And what I'm telling you is, the Lord is having a war with Amalek right now. You have an enemy, and I have an enemy that is unseen. And there is a war going on in the spiritual realm. But what God says is he is your banner. What that means is he is your victory. He is the one who is going to cause you to triumph. He is the one that gives us the victory. He is the one that allows us to see the victory. And he is the one who allows us to be victorious in any battle. Notice what it says here. This battle is in the spiritual realm because there is a connection between victory and prayer. And as they come back and the Lord says, I want you to build the altar. I don't want you to forget that I am Jehovah Nisi. I am Jehovah's Nisi. This altar is a place of power. This altar changes lives. This altar is an altar. And let me tell you what the old folks used to do that we don't do anymore that I think we need to revisit because that front row right there was their altar or this this place right in front of the pulpit was their altar. And the old folks had good sense enough to know that if they had a loved one trapped in sin, if they had a loved one who was bound by the world, if they had a loved one who kept doing wrong over and over and over and over again they knew listen you need to come to the church and where I'm going to sit you is on the mourner's bench 
because you are in bondage. You, you, you are held captive. There needs to be a victory that is won in your life. And they would bring them to the altar. And there, that space between the mourner's bench and right here in front of the pulpit was the place of power. That's where lives were changed. And men and women, we forgot about changed lives. We forgot about God wanting to change an individual's life. Listen, I sat there. I know there is power. The very course of my life was changed at the altar because of the power of God. My mind was changed. My heart was changed. My doing was changed. But I had to humble myself and know that I couldn't change myself. I needed a power. I needed God to do something in my life. And men and women, as long as Moses prayed, as long as his hands were held up, Joshua was winning the battle and he made an altar there and he called that altar Jehovah Nisi. The Lord is my banner. The Lord is my victory. I'm going to say something to somebody who's been trying to do it on your own. The Lord is your victory. I'm going to give a word to somebody who's been trying their hardest. They've been working hard. It's admirable of you that you've been trying to change things. It's admirable of you that you've been trying to work it out. But as Miss Jewel said, when life gets too big, you've got to come to the altar. Come to the altar because that's the power. It's the place of power. Is that all right? Anybody with me? Y'all bored? Anybody? Anybody okay? I'm going to take a few more minutes. Point number three. Not only is it a place of provision, not only is the altar a place of power, uh, it's a place of power. Let me read some verses for you. Colossians 1, 11 says, Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may be great, have greater endurance and patience. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20 says, And his incomparably great power for us to believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand. And in the heavenly realms. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches. He may strengthen you with the power. Through his spirit in your inner being. We've got a power inside of us. And yet we keep trying to do it on our own. Point number three. The altar is not just a place of provision and a place of power. But it's also a place of peace. Ezra chapter 3 verse 2 says he arose and built an altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it. Judges chapter 6 verses 22 through 24 says now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord that he was in the presence of the angel of the Lord so Gideon said alas O Lord God for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face then the Lord said to him peace be with you do not fear you shall not die so Gideon built an altar to the Lord and called it Jehovah Shalom The Lord is peace. The Lord is peace. The backdrop of this is that the Midianites were terrorizing the Israelites. 
So much so that the Israelites built caves to live in. They were afraid that they would ravage their crops. They would terrorize the people. And Gideon is afraid. Gideon is, is fearful. Gideon doesn't know what's going on. Many of us are afraid of the future. Many of us are afraid of the present. Many of us are afraid of what could happen. Many of us are afraid of people. Many of us are afraid of opinions. Many of us cower down at opportunities that God puts in front of us because we're afraid. And so God comes to Gideon and he says, Gideon, almighty oh man of valor. Now Gideon is shrinking in, shrinking in fear, but God calls him a mighty man of valor because God sees what you will be in faith, not in fear. And so Gideon goes through a series of things to prove that this is the angel of the Lord. This is God come in his very presence. And he comes to the point where he acknowledges that. And Gideon builds an altar to the Lord. And he calls it, Jehovah's going to be my peace. I don't have to be afraid anymore. There's somebody that needs to hear this. You don't have to be afraid. God is on your side. Men and women, you don't have to be afraid. Because God is on your side. You don't have to be afraid of your health. You don't have to be afraid of your money. You don't have to be afraid of people. You don't have to be afraid of what's going to happen. You don't have to be afraid to fly. You don't have to be afraid to drive. Do you know that there are some people in the world that are so afraid they will not even leave their house? Men and women, you don't have to be afraid because he is Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah, my peace. He gives me peace. And men and women, people need peace today. Do nothing, uh, uh, be, be, don't be anxious for anything, but in everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God and the peace of God. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Jesus said this, peace I leave with you and peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. Jesus also said, I have told you these things so that in me you might have peace. In this world you have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You will keep in perfect peace, God, those whose minds are steadfast on you because they trust in you. Somebody needs peace today. Somebody wasn't able to sleep last night. Somebody was so worried and racked with doubt and racked with fear and racked with the possibilities of some things that hadn't even happened that you are so anxious about. And the Lord says, I want to be your peace. You've been praying for it. You've been asking for it. You've been pleading with God for it. And God says, I've already given it to you. I've already given you your provision. I've already given you your power. I've already given you your peace. It's at the altar. Leave it at the altar. Come to the altar. Go to the altar. Humble yourselves and kneel at the altar. Pray at the altar. Intercede at the altar. I'll close with this. <clears throat> well, Pastor Mike, how can we rebuild the altar? The altar was made of stone. The altar is where they would burn the sacrifices. The altar is where they would have the animals and it would be bloody. 
What I'm telling you is point number four. The altar is a picture of Jesus. The altar is just a picture of Jesus. Notice what it says in Ezra chapter 3 verse 2. It says, And Zerubbabel the son of Sheatiel and his brethren arose and built an altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it. These burnt offerings are a picture of Jesus. These animals are just a picture of the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. These offerings were put on a man-made altar as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. But Hebrews 13 says, we have something greater than the Old Testament altar. We have something greater than the Old Testament animals. We have a man, Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God, that shed His blood on an old rugged cross. So we come to His altar. We come to His person. We come to His work. We come to who He is because He gives all provision. Jesus is our our provision. Jesus is our power. Jesus is our peace. And the altar is just a picture of Jesus. You want to start feeling comfortable again with coming to church? You want to take away the awkwardness? You want this relationship to be non-complicated? You want to, 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 to see God the way you used to see God? Yes, the outward exterior may be different. Yes, the outward trimmings may be not what you're used to. Yes, the packaging may be uncomfortable for you. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Jesus is who we come to. Jesus is whom we trust. When life gets too big, go to the altar. When life gets too big, go to Jesus. When life is overwhelming, go to Jesus. When life is unmanageable, go to Jesus. When life is crazy and filled with grief, go to Jesus. When life is uncertain, go to Jesus. When you need provision, go to Jesus. When you need His power, go to Jesus. When you need His peace, go to Jesus. When you need to get a prayer through, you go to Jesus. Do you know who He is? Jesus, Adam's Redeemer. Jesus, Abel's Vindicator. Jesus, Abraham's Sacrifice. Jesus, Noah's Ark. Jesus, Moses' Bush on Fire. Jesus, Joshua's Battle Axe. Jesus, Gideon's Fleece. Jesus, Samson's Power. Jesus, David's Music. Jesus, Solomon's wisdom. I wish somebody would preach with me. Jesus, Jeremiah's bomb. Jesus, Ezekiel's wheel in the middle of the wheel. Jesus, Matthew's king. Jesus, Mark's suffering servant. Jesus, Luke's great physician. Jesus, John's salvation. Jesus, the foundation of the church. Jesus, that bright and morning star. Jesus, the one who was. Jesus, the one who is. Jesus, the one who will come and be here forevermore. Men and women, if you want to get back and we really want to rebuild, we got to start with the altar. I challenge you as an application to today's message. 
to go home. It's not enough for you to have the altar here. That's right. But to come home and make for yourself an altar. I don't mean just a spiritual altar. I mean make yourself an altar. A place where you go and you experience the very presence of God. Yes, Jesus is everywhere. Yes. But sometimes we need a tangible expression. Sometimes we have, that's why the old folks used to, used to take it literal when, when God said you go in your own personal prayer closet. Then folks would go in the closet and pray. Because they wanted it to be tangible. And men and women, I think that God is calling us back to himself. God is calling us back to relationship. God is calling us back to talking about Jesus. You remember when you first got saved, all you did was talk about Jesus. And men and women, we got to get back to that. Could be that God shook us up during this pandemic to shake all the stuff out of us. Love you, church. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you so much for this time that we have together. We pray that your word would be solidified in our hearts. We pray that your word would work in us, through us, and for us. We pray that we would see Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Help us during this season to rebuild. Help us during this season to glorify Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Let the church say amen. I'm, I'm, I'm going to...